I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Unscripted, the Cardiac Hill podcast. I'm your host, Corey Cohen. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about pit football. They've got a big uh, midweek game coming up against North Carolina on Thursday. Also going to be talking about Pitt soccer. Just got a huge win in the ACC tournament. And of course, Pitt volleyball as they prepare to enter the ACC tournament. But first, we have to talk about Pitt basketball because I promised you a season preview. And while we are two games into the season, still plenty of time to preview the year because honestly, it's still really tough to figure out what this pit basketball team is. And so to help, uh, I was able to interview Craig Meyer. Craig is the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette beat writer for pit basketball. He's been on the job for a few years now. He does an absolutely phenomenal job. Pitt fans are, uh, are fortunate to have him. He's a great writer. He covers the team really well, and uh, he's he's an excellent Twitter presence on top of that. So I was able to uh, interview Craig Meyer, ask him about the team, what we should look for, what to expect from the players. And my first question started with, what can we decipher between what happened in Pitt's first game, beating FSU to start the season, a really good ACC team, and then their second game, looking bad, losing to Nichols State. So here is my interview with Craig Meyer of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Okay, I am here uh, with Craig Meyer, the beat writer for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Craig, thank you so much for joining me on Unscripted. No, man, uh, yeah, I really appreciate you. I really appreciate you having me on here. Well, uh, I, for, for anyone who listens to the podcast, uh, is is on Pitt Twitter. Uh, you absolutely know Craig. You know his work. Uh, he he covers the team phenomenally well uh, and and really gives some great insight and, of course, is a, is a great Twitter follow as well. So first, Craig, I've got to ask you, and then we'll get into a little bit more of a preview on this season, but Pitt, they came out, they beat Florida State in their first game, a big win in conference, and then in the second game they fell flat and just looked awful against Nichols State and lost. So what on earth happened between the first game and the second game? So I, I think, I, I don't know if anything fundamentally changed. I mean, I, th- I think it does speak some to kind of the weirdness of college basketball, especially at this point during the season when the teams are still kind of trying to figure out who, uh, trying to figure out who they are, how they're going to operate. I think with Pitt, you know, that, uh, that, uh, that that's really important too, because I think that there is some sense, and understandably that there that there's kind of a continuity with this team where you bring back Xavier Johnson, you bring back Trey, uh, Trey McGowan. You have these two kind of very public faces of the program. But I mean, if you look at their, you know, at what I guess probably exists now is their nine man rotation. Five of those guys are new. So you're looking at a team that it's not as revamped as it was last year certainly not you know as revamped and reshuffled as it was two years ago when you had 11 new guys um and that obviously didn't turn out well um i think i still think that there's some sense that 
guys are guys are still for you know for all the times that they've practiced with and against each other um you know you know they uh they have decided to see a secret scrimmage against maryland i think that there's still some kind of feeling out uh, uh going on right now um i mean i think there is some too you know and jeff cable touched on that after the game yesterday where this is a team i mean it's still they're still relatively young you know they're college age kids, so I think it's probably fair to say that they're prone to being impressionable. Where you had that kind of a win, ugly as it was to open up the season, and you beat a team that was picked to finish fifth in the conference, and you're probably feeling yourself a little bit. And you're playing, and you know, and you're playing Nickel State, a school that admittedly I had to look up where it was before the game. Like I figured it was somewhere in the Southwest or, or in the South, but yeah, you know, uh, but I wasn't entirely sure. And you just come out flat. I mean, I think what was dis- so distressing with that game was just that Nichols throughout looked like the better team. Like, it, you know, you know, there are some games sometimes where a team may kind of, you know, get out to a 20-point lead and get pretty comfortable, which is kind of what happened uh, with, uh, with, with Illinois against Nichols earlier in the week. Um, and then that team comes back. And, you know, thankfully for, for Illinois, they were able to hold on there. But, I mean, it was that play pretty much through, uh, throughout the entire game, so I think that's concerning. But again, it's weird when you deal with with a small sample sizes like this. You don't want to make too much of any two games, but that's that's about as sharp and drastic of a swing as I think that as I think that you can have in you know a seventy two ninety you know, or like in a seventy two hour ninety six hour stretch. It's that's pretty drastic. Yeah, it's, it, well, it's tough to to get pit fans to ask pit fans to not panic after a loss in uh, in any sport. So that's a that's a tall order, but uh, yeah. uh, we'll, we'll try to try to see that that people just take it one game at a time. I've got to ask you. So there there are the two leaders who led the way last season. They're back. They're sophomores, Xavier Johnson and Trey McGowan's. Uh, against Nichols State, they had combined between them twenty points, five assists, ten rebounds. That's something that. Maybe people expected one of them would get in a game. Maybe not so much the 10 rebounds, but 20 points, five assists. That's something that maybe one of them would have in a game. That's what they combined. Are these two, in your opinion, are they ready to carry a team as now they're going to have to do? Um, I think in some ways they. Uh, I think in some ways that they are. I mean, they largely did it last season. Um, you know, but obviously that was a team. That compared to uh, to where they were the previous season, it was great. But ultimately, they were you know they won three games in the ACC, you know finished fourteen and nineteen. So if you had that result this season, I fans would understandably be not be very happy with that. Um, I think yeah, I I think it's a little early, but so you know I say this you know you know I I'll couch this with uh, with like any number of modifiers, but. Like they haven't looked good in the first two games. Like they don't. I think. I think for some of us, there's a natural and I guess reasonable assumption that going from your freshman year to your sophomore year that you'll be better. You'll, you know, you'll, you know, you do have that one year of experience to kind of fall back on. You know, you like you can avoid some of the traps that uh, that you maybe succumb to as a freshman just because you weren't experienced and didn't really know how college basketball worked. But I mean, the big things that those guys needed to work. I mean, through 80 minutes this season, it just you know Xavier Johnson's shot doesn't look that much better. Uh, Trey McCowan still turns it over uh, quite a bit. You still see this like tendency of him to really just to like charge toward the basket, 
with no discernible or like easily read plan. You know, it really looks it really looks like a guy who's you know who's uh, who's using his speed and athleticism to try to get to the basket and maybe draw a foul, but there doesn't seem to be much else with that. There doesn't really seem to be a, a kind of plan B where like, Oh, I could kick it out. I could dish it uh, to move uh, to my big man after I've drawn this, this attention with this run to the basket. Um, it just, it's a, I mean, you know, and again, you don't want to make too much of just two games here, but I mean, from what I've seen from those two so far, it's, it's been, I mean, I think for people like me who kind of naturally assume that they would get a little bit better just with one more year of experience, it really hasn't panned out like that. I think that they are capable of it. I mean, we saw last year, like when they were at, uh, when, uh, when they were at their best, I mean, they were capable of beating Louisville. They were capable of being uh, Florida state, two teams that finished among probably the top 30 teams in the country going into the tournament last season. Um, but obviously, as we saw during that, during their 13 game losing streak last season, they were also, capable of losing to Boston College and Lake Forest and teams like that. So I don't – I think that it's probably a little bit early to uh, to panic, um, you know, or to try to draw too much, you know, j- just from uh, just from what we've seen in two games here. Um, but it is – yeah, it, it is maybe a little concerning, a little distressing for Pitt fans just seeing two guys who – who look a lot like the players who walked off the court last year in Charlotte at uh, in the ACC tournament in the ACC tournament? Sorry, at the end of last season. Now there are two other uh, returning players, Audis Tony and Terrell Brown. Now they're certainly not expected to carry the team, but the fact that they came back, that they are with this program another year, means that Jeff Cable expected them to be quality players, and and they're getting almost thirty minutes a game. Do those two look like guys who who are legit enough to be getting 30 minutes a game to be, even though they're not the stars, to be solid contributors on a team that, that Pitt is aspiring to be this year? I think Terrell Brown's looked great so far. That's probably, you know, I think I would say Ryan Murphy's probably, uh, has probably been the biggest revelation here, but I also think part of that comes from uh, from him being new to the program, so you didn't fully know what you were going to get from him. Um, but Terrell Brown, I think of the of, of of the guys coming back to this team, has shown the clear signs of improvement. I mean, where he's a guy who looks a little bit more, uh, you know, he looks a little bit stronger. He looks a little bit more assertive, a little bit more certain of himself. Um, you know, like there like there was one moment in, in the Nickel State game uh, yesterday, and this is kind of a like smaller thing, but he gets the ball in the high post, and he just kind of holds it there, like it looks like he's, you know, it it kind of looks like a guy who's not quite panicking but he really wants someone to, uh he really wants someone to uh to get open so he can kick it out to him and there's like a second pause there but then he decides he's like hey I'm 6'10 with a 7'4 wingspan I only have one guy in front of me here I can take this to the basket and and, and did that ended up finishing you know getting a layup there so he he's a guy who I mean you're at the point with him now where you've had two separate coaching staffs. You know, you had Kevin Stongs and his staff, and now you have Jeff Cape on his, who have, who have been, I wouldn't say befuddled by him, but who have just been like, if we can just get this guy to consistently play with some kind of motor and some level of intensity, like I'm not saying he's going to be a star, but like he's going to be a really helpful and valuable piece for us. Um, I think in the first two games that we've kind of seen that he's, 
I don't think he's a guy that this team will lean on that much, or you know, like he's never going to be somebody who, uh, who's uh, who's going to use such a disproportionate like percentage of the team's possessions. But I, I do think that he needs to be someone who like who is at the very least a, a you know who at the very least is, is is some kind of threat. Who when Johnson and McGowan are going to uh, go into the basket, he's someone who if the defense. Keys, uh, keys, and on one of those guys too, uh, too much. Where he's someone, where if their defender leaves him, like where there is a danger in doing that. Where you know where there's where there's not that like half second pause. Where you know like where a guy, you know like uh, you know where uh, where a guy can you know can leave Brown. And then still come back to him and you know potentially bl- uh, block a shot or or force some kind of miscue. Um, I mean, I think if he can be a guy who's just you know who's uh, who's able to finish off high, some uh, some high percentage looks and just be a general threat down there, I think that's good. I think Audie's Tony is a little bit different. He's um, you know he's someone who last year I'd heard a lot about you know about just given Pitt's roster construction, how he's playing out of position. You know how uh, how he was a guy who was probably more he was probably more of a wing like more of a two or three during uh, during his high school and his AAU years but he's someone who was forced to basically being team's power forward um, and I think he did pretty well in that role you know like especially being you know, being thrust into that maybe not having a certain um, level of comfort with it I just his shot his shot is still bad like I don't. I I mean I think at this point we can say that's probably some that's I think it's pretty indicative of how he is as an offensive player, um, and I think he's someone who I think he just kind of has to be kind of a like a glue guy you know or kind of like a you know or, or you know or just like someone who kind of thrives on like the dirty work guy you know he I think he's a guy who for a size is a pretty decent rebounder. Um, I think he's much better finishing as an offensive player near the basket. Just, I don't think from 15 feet or so out, I just don't think he's that much of an, uh, of an offensive threat for this team. So I, if he can be a guy who's your, maybe your fourth or fifth scorer, you know, a guy who's, uh, who's, uh, who's one of the team's leading rebounders who can provide a pretty strong de- and versatile defensive presence. Um, if he can fulfill that, I think this team will be in decent shape. Reasonable expectations. Got it. Now, now I've got to ask you about Ryan Murphy. He's got 41 points so far this season. Uh, is is this sort of a fluke these first two games, or did Pitt land, you know, their own JJ Redick? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think he needed to probably get a, a sleeve tattoo, and, you know, you know, like and get some kind of fade or like, <laughs> but uh, he. I mean, I think there is. I I don't necessarily think he'll be able to uh, to uh, to continue at this current pace here. I mean, he's shooting about fifty four percent from three. I mean, I think if he ends up shooting forty percent or better from three, that'd be a great season for him. So I don't think he'll be quite what he has been so far. But I, th- I think one of the bigger things with him, and I guess it's easy to pigeonhole. You know, he's like a six one, six two white guy who's a really good outside shooter, like. He's not just like a spot up shooter though. Like he's someone who plays pretty well off the dribble. You can sort of see some of the plays and the passes that he creates on offense 
like I, I think he's a much more well uh, a much more well-rounded player than I guess a lazier or you know or kind of more superficial analysis would paint him as. Um, I think defensively he's been pretty opportunistic so far as far as being able to kind of poke the ball away and force some steals. Um, so I think I, I mean he's a guy that. I think going into the year, I was thinking he, at the very least, would be a good guy to uh, to bring off the bench, and I think he's certainly shown it so far. Where even when this team sh- struggles mightily offensively, he's someone who's almost you know who's almost a like steady presence. Like when the team's not able to to generate much, you can at least get a, a three or two threes from him during like a six minute stretch where Pitt's not making anything else. Um, but I think he's someone that, honestly, based on what I've seen so far, I, I think you, for all their struggles so far, I think that you still need Johnson and McGowan's out there a bunch. But I mean, I think with I think with what I've seen from from uh, Murphy, I mean, I think you I think it would help hit, and they'll obviously figure this out over the course of non-conference play, especially in some of the weaker teams. Um, I think it would help them to play maybe like a three-guard set. Um, and then sort of rotate that that four spot with guys like Tony and and uh, you know and Gerald Drumgoy and uh, and Justin Champagne. Um but yeah, I, I mean Murphy, I think is at the very least proven himself that he's going to probably be one of the team's top three or top four scores uh, this season. And again, I think that's at the very least. Yeah, he he definitely seems to be uh, something special, like you said, more than just a shooter. All right, Craig, I'll, I'll get you out of here on this. Uh, talking about the other three, four freshmen in the rotation, new players, what should we expect from them? Because we haven't really seen much from Drumgoul or Hamilton or Champagny. So what should we expect to see from the other guys in the rotation? Yeah, I mean, I would say so far, so I think Hamilton's a, maybe a, a kind of slightly easier guy to pigeonhole. I mean, I think he's there largely for rebounding purposes. He did he did show some good offensive moves, you know, in these first couple of games. He had a really nice spin move in in uh, in the Nickel State game where, you know, where you kind of perked up in your seat a little bit and were like, well, like this guy's capable of doing some stuff for him. Um, I mean, I think with the way that Terrell Brown's played so far, I mean, I think that – I think that – I think that – I think that Hamilton's maybe not – you know, I don't want to call him a you know a like insurance player where it's where it, where it's basically like you don't want your team's entire front court riding on the play or the health of of, of Terrell Brown, but I think so far he's been almost kind of a plug-in for uh, for what Kenneth uh, for what Kenneth Chukwuka would have been doing for this team. Um, obviously, he's injured right now. Um, I, I think when you look at some of the other freshmen uh, with uh, with Abdul Kareem Kulbali. Um, I mean, he's played very limited minutes in these first couple games. But actually, I forgot how many exactly he's played. It looks like he's – so he's played four minutes. Um, he's someone, yeah, who I think they're going to try to bring along slowly. Um, I, You know, I, I, had, I had watched him some over the summer when he was playing for, uh, for Mali in the FIBA World Cup, and I was – he in in those games he looked like someone I was thinking would have a pretty uh pretty immediate impact but you know like the more that you talk to coaches and players and got a sense of where the of where the newcomers were he was somebody who kind of has to be eased in a little bit um so he would be someone I would expect yeah probably more limited minutes from certainly under ten a game um you know at least during non conference play. 
And then um, between Drumgoal and, and Champagne, who do you think is, yes. is should we see as a standout? Um, I think Champagne's looked. I think that he's looked better so far, and that's pretty consistent with what you were hearing from players during the preseason. That he was. Anytime the uh, anytime the, the you would ask about the freshman, he would always be the first name that, uh, that came up. Really, the only question with him for a while was the uh, you know was uh, was the was with the uh, was with the uh, was with his knees health you know and whether he would be able to play or you know or whether he would potentially be out at you know at you know at one point we were thinking that you know that it was an ACL tear that was, that was going to have him out most of if not the entire season. So he's, I mean, he's a really athletic presence. I don't think he's fully where he maybe was before, uh, before that, before the knee injury. I think there's still some kind of mental hurdles, you know, like, you know, where you maybe, where you maybe second guess things, where you don't, you know, where you don't fully trust your knee to be where it needs to be. Um, so I would say, but even with that, I, you know, I still think he's been the uh, the uh, I think he's been the most impressive player of those two so far. Uh, Drumgoal has been pretty inconsistent, you know, in, in these first two games. He's been kind of sloppy. It doesn't, you know, he's but he's still someone. Though, I mean, he was the highest rated freshman of that group. You know, he was a four star player, ranked in the top one hundred and fifty. I think he's, I think that he's someone who. Who I think potential will win when we get to the end of the year, just based purely on that, uh, on 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 uh, on that potential, and you know, and and in terms of in terms of how he was scouted coming into college, I think he's someone that we could easily look uh, look back on and say, okay, this guy's the best or most promising player of that group. But yes, uh, so far I would definitely say that Champagne is probably has probably been the most impressive one. Well, we'll uh, we'll certainly keep an eye on them, the rest of the team, and uh, throughout the season, uh, Craig Meyer he'll be there for for uh, all the games. He'll he'll be covering the team all season long, and uh, Pitt fans are absolutely uh, lucky to have him as uh, as the B reporter. Craig, you do great stuff. Um, again, thank You're you so much kind, for joining. Me. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me uh, on this call, and uh, and yeah. Uh, again, thank you, and we'll be back in just a moment with uh, more Unscripted. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, we are back. Again, thank you so much to Craig Meyer for joining me, uh, the uh, beat writer from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. He's a, a phenomenal writer, and uh, he really does a, a great job. So, uh, And he's a great Twitter follow. So, uh, so absolutely follow him on Twitter, Craig Meyer. Uh, and, and again, really appreciate having him on. So... Uh, now I'm going to switch gears a little bit to Pitt football because they've got a huge game coming up in just a couple days. On Thursday night, they host North Carolina. And this game is going to be very important for a couple reasons. First is uh, if Pitt wants any chance at the ACC Coastal, they have to win it. Because Virginia beat Georgia Tech, they struggled. But because Virginia beat Georgia Tech, the only way for the Panthers to make it uh, back-to-back ACC championship games is to win out 
and then Virginia has to lose to Virginia Tech to uh, close out the regular season. So if there's uh, if there's any way Pitt's going to make it, then they absolutely need to win out. Still highly unlikely, but you want to win. Number two, another uh, reason this game is big is because Pitt right now sits at six wins. I, I said before the season started that the goal was seven, and I think the way things uh, went throughout this season... It would be it would be fine if you get to seven, but really because of what they were able to do, because they really should have beaten Penn State or, or should have at least brought them into overtime, because they beat UCF, because they had some big road wins against Duke and Syracuse, you really should get to eight wins. And if you get to seven, okay, it's fine. But certainly if you end up at six, it's it's bad. It is a bad year. And that's very possible if they lose this game to North Carolina. Because after this, you've only got two games remaining at Virginia Tech. That will not be easy. And then at home against Boston College, and the Eagles have looked good lately. They've, they've looked a, a lot better. And so this is probably the most winnable game that Pitt has left on the season. And so if they want to get to eight wins, you've got to win this game, I think. And even if you want to get to seven wins, it's tough to do if you don't win this game because you don't have any games that you're definitely going to be favored in moving forward, or at least favored more than just, you know, three points. So I, I think this game is going to be really big for Pitt in their quest to get to eight wins, regular season wins, but even seven, this, this is going to be a big one. And then one more reason this game is absolutely huge is because Pitt under Pat Narduzzi still has not beaten North Carolina. Pitt can never seem to beat the Tar Heels when it comes to football. And it's weird because a lot of years these teams are about even. Some years, Pitt is even better than North Carolina, but the Panthers cannot seem to get a win. And at first, you thought, oh, well, maybe it's Ryan Switzer, because he always seemed to be the guy who would kill Pitt football. But then he graduated, and he went to the NFL, and Pitt still lost. Last year, UNC was bad, really bad at football, but they still managed to get a win over Pitt. So then you thought, well, maybe it's Larry Fedora the head coach who was fired after last season. Well, this year's going to this year is going to figure out what it all was because if Pitt is able to win this game, then yeah, it was Larry Fedora, he somehow has a curse over Pat Narduzzi, he's got his number and that is the difference. But if Pitt does not win this game, if Pitt loses again to North Carolina, then it shows that it's not Switzer, it's not Fedora. Pitt is just cursed against UNC. They cannot beat the Tar Heels no matter what. And so my my guess is if Pitt loses this game, I think the Panthers are never ever 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 beating UNC. That is my uh that is my prediction. And when it comes to this game, I think it'll be close. I think it'll be a competitive game. And right now I'm picking UNC. I would say low confidence about 51% to 49% UNC over Pitt. Uh, either way, I think it'll be close. I think it'll be a dramatic game. I think Pitt fans will be very upset and frustrated afterwards, even if it's a win. But I do think UNC comes out with the victory just slightly. But e even if Pitt wins, this is going to be a weird game. And uh, I think Pitt fans aren't going to be too happy by the end of it. I'm picking UNC with low confidence. Uh, I will say this, though. The uh, the spread came out, and I saw, at least on, on one site, 
it was minus nine, Pitt minus nine. Pitt should never be a nine-point favorite. It's certainly not to another ACC team, and certainly, certainly not to North Carolina, where these games are always close. And if anything, again, North Carolina could even be favored because we just have not seen Pitt beat UNC. So to me, that is absolutely absurd. I, I think Pitt, it confuses a lot of people, and I think it confuses uh, whoever is making these betting lines because Pitt minus nine, no way is Pitt going uh, to win by 10-plus points. I just don't see how that's going to happen. Uh, I don't see how it's at all possible. Uh, moving on, men's soccer. We've got to talk about this. The ACC tournament is underway, and the Panthers have defeated NC State to move to the ACC semifinal for the first time in program history. That is absolutely huge, and uh, it really massive, massive credit to uh, Jay Vitovich, the head coach for this program, and uh, it was Scott Barnes' best hire by far, and I think uh, he's done a phenomenal job with this team. He's really made them one of the better ACC teams, and uh, he, he put them in a great spot to succeed. Another big person is uh, Edward Kiza, who has been sensational for this team. I really think he is going to uh, make it on the pro level. I don't know where. I don't know if it'll be in America with uh, MLS or USL Championship or USL League One. I don't know. But Edward Kiza has got the chops. He scored both goals in the game over NC State to put Pitt into the uh, semifinal game. And I think he, he is a massive player. He's got a bright future. And uh, it seems to be, in my opinion... Uh, he he and Jay Vitovich are the reasons that that pit soccer is great for the first time, and so it's an exciting time uh, to, to be if if you're a pit soccer fan, if you're just a soccer fan in general. Uh, this team is doing some big things, and so uh, absolutely pay attention at this point. Because uh, Pitt is going to go in, in all likelihood, play Clemson, the number one seed. It's going to be a tough battle. But they had a game, a home game against NC State, and uh, they won it. And that is huge. So to be in the semifinals, even though they're unlikely to win it, just to be there is, uh, is a huge improvement for this program. And you never know. They beat Virginia, undefeated Virginia. They were able to beat them. They're the two seed. And uh, so do not put it past them. Pitt could pull off the upset over Clemson. And uh, definitely keep an eye on Pitt Soccer because that semifinal matchup is going to be huge. But either way, this Pitt Soccer program is in a great spot. And then Pitt Volleyball. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Anytime, as long as they keep winning, we're going to keep mentioning them on this podcast. They are 25-1 and now, 14-0 and in conference. They've already clinched at least a share of the ACC regular season championship. They're almost definitely going to uh, be the the solo ACC champs again in the regular season. They'll be the favorites heading into the ACC tournament. And the big question is, what can they do in the NCAA tournament? Because, yeah, I mean, it's crazy that it's gotten to the point where just an ACC championship doesn't feel like enough. But pit volleyball has gotten so good that that is where they are. That if they just win an ACC uh, championship, but don't find a way to go deep into the NCAA tournament, it would be a disappointment, which you cannot say that for any other sport. If Pitt won the ACC championship, that would not be monumental. It would be a big deal if volleyball does it, but 
they've got to go they've got to go far into the NCAA tournament and to their credit they have been phenomenal they've put themselves in a great spot right now they're number 2 in the country honestly they probably should be number 1 i think they've got more impressive wins than texas but that's where they are you play the schedule in front of you and the rest will work itself out but this pit volleyball team is special and one thing before uh, before we close on uh, panther of the week uh, you could spread it around to a bunch of different players Basketball obviously took a hit after losing to Nichols State. And uh, again, of course, volleyball could go to really the entire team. I'm going to go to Heather Like because the Peterson Events Center underwent a massive renovation. And I have not been there in person. I'm out here in the Philly area. But from everything I've seen, that building looks incredible. It looks brand new. And all the changes I've seen, amazing. First of all, they flipped the uh, the not flipped the court, but they they flipped how the court is aligned so that now where the Oakland Zoo is, that'll be not be that'll be where the camera views on TV. So the cameras move to the opposite side of the arena. So now anytime on TV, you see the Oakland Zoo jumping up and down. You see all the the gold shirts. And now also the added benefit is that Pitt is close? Excuse me, the zoo is closer to the opposing team's bench, and so you can maybe get in their head a little bit. But I think to me that was such a no-brainer. I know that people ads in the past said it would cost a lot of money, but it's absolutely worth it. It looks a million times better, and uh, massive credit to Heather Like for getting it done. I don't know what it cost. Whatever it cost, it is worth it. The other renovations, having the, the Panther Head, the Cathedral, it's been there before, but having the Cathedral outline up on the side of the building. The new scoreboard, it's huge. It looks incredible. You've got the bridge above it the, you know, for Pittsburgh. They did an, just a mind-blowingly good job. And some of these things seem like no-brainers. Other things, not so much. But man, does that court, does that arena look gorgeous with the new colors, the logos, everything. They went all out with the change for the logo and the colors. And massive credit to Heather Like and her team because now Pitt finally has an identity. And it's an arena that even though it is starting to get a little bit old, it looks like a brand new arena. And and that's going to be helpful moving forward with this basketball program. So Heather Like, amazing job. The Pete looks gorgeous. So that is it for this episode of Unscripted, the Cardiac Hill podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, again, we are uh, now a member of the SB Nation podcast network. So what that means is... Uh, we're, we're everywhere. So anywhere you can search Cardiac Hill on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere, just search for Cardiac Hill, find the podcast, subscribe to it, then you get the episodes uh, directly to you. It's definitely helpful. So if you could do that, I would appreciate it. Also, if you want to leave a review, rate, whatever you can do, I appreciate it. Also, continue checking out CardiacHill.com for tons of great content, and you can find me on Twitter at Corey E. Cohen, C-O-R-E-Y-E-C-O-H-E-N. Again, thank you so much uh, for this past week. For Craig Meyer, uh, again, I'm Corey Cohen, signing off from Unscripted, the Cardiac Hill Podcast.